You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz. Tony Duchesne here, and welcome to Drinks with Tony. This week on the show, my guest is Charlotte Maya. She's the author of Sushi Tuesdays, a memoir of love, loss, and family resilience. I'm teaching a free creative writing workshop at the Los Feliz Branch Library on Wednesday, March 8th at 6 p.m., for more information, go to lapl.org or just show up to the Los Feliz Branch Library on Hillhurst and Franklin on March 8th at 6 p.m. And now, Charlotte and I discuss how she dealt with the suicide of her husband, how to find love even if you don't think you want it, the importance of a hug and being there for friends, why ice cream can solve almost any tragedy or not, and so much more. Hi, I'm Charlotte Maya, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. Yeah. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Charlotte Maya. She's the author of Sushi Tuesdays, a memoir of love, loss, and family resilience. Charlotte, how are you? I'm well, Tony. Thanks so much for including me on your show today. Do you, do, do you feel like you've been inclusive, that I'm being inclusive? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think so. I've never Can been Can I before. quote you on that? <laughs> <laughs> Tony's so inclusive. He's so inclusive. <laughs> no, it's, it's great fun having you on the show. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a topic that actually this, the topic of suicide does mean a lot to me because I've also experienced family and friends too. Mm. But you're, um, and, it, and, and I love how, and I, and I love your reaction to that because other people who've been through suicide, you, if they, it's just kind of like, oh, <laughs> that's like, that's a reaction where people who don't like kind of go in shock and go, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And you're just like, no, no, it, it's fine. It's not your fault. Yeah. And then they change the topic to the weather or something. Can I get you something from the bar? I mean, they just go straight somewhere else because it can be hard, but yeah, it's and it's um, it is hard because if you haven't been through it, it seems like the worst thing ever. And if you have been through it, it is the worst thing ever. Yeah, it's it's bad. It's the thing we know that helps in the area of suicide is talking about it. So yes, I am really grateful to be here today so that we can model what it is like to talk about suicide because it is a difficult but also healing conversation. The one thing we know from the research is that talking about it helps. And we know that silence does not. It drives me nuts. Um, and it drives me absolutely crazy when people are like, oh yeah, a uh, person uh, dead at 26, um, family w- uh, wants privacy, We uh, no cause of death. And they never say the cause of death. And you're just sitting there going, was it a suicide? Come on, was it a suicide or was it an OD? And we should be very open about both because yes, there's privacy involved, but it's also, it affects all of us. Suicide affects all of us. Drug addiction affects all of us. It should not be taboo. It should not be. And I think people are getting better about that. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in this country. It's number two in the age demographic, 25 to 34. Oh, I'm out of that. You're out of that too. So we got out of it. Yeah, but I have children in that range. So you're never out of the woods. Um, 
but we don't like to talk about it. And so I think that talking about it is essential. And I think people are getting better. When when Sam died, so my first husband, Sam, died by suicide in 2007. And I will admit that when we wrote his obituary, I wrote, Sam died suddenly. And suddenly served oh. sort of as a euphemism, one S word for another. Wow. Okay. Because I was terrified yeah. of being ostracized. And it was one thing to talk about his death. I was very transparent at home with my kids, with my family, but out in a broader public arena, I was terrified to because that I would be ostracized. And there is so much shame and stigma around suicide that it can reduce our loved one's life to how they died. And that's not fair. Suicide no, it, oh, is an no. illness. Oh, sorry. Yes. Suicide is yeah, an illness. I, exactly. No. So, and what do you feel like the shame was about? Um, why, do, why do you feel like people would have looked at you in a certain way because your husband committed suicide? I think there's so much guilt. I mm -hmm. had no idea that Sam was suffering so much. And I was his wife. So yeah. if he was going to talk to anybody, I seemed like the natural person that he would have talked to, or at least in the top five, I like to think I would have at least made the top five. Yeah. And in the 15 years since his death, I have not met anyone yet, family, friends, cousin, cousins, anybody with whom Sam had a real heart to heart about how much he was struggling. Mm. And so I felt I, I carried a lot of guilt for that. It was much easier for me to forgive Sam than it was for me to forgive myself. Wow. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I get that. I, uh, yeah, no, it's, that, that's very poignant. I'm thinking about friends who, um, where I'm just like, why you know, it's, I found out, you know, I saw there was one friend that killed himself and I saw him about a week before and he was like buoyant. I have never seen him that buoyant in my life. And I'm sitting there going, what happened to him? And then later I realized he had already made the decision to kill himself. So all everything was lifted off of him. But I, I saw him in a new light. And then when I found out what happened in the four days before what he was doing, and I was like a friend of the family and I'm like, he was doing that. And no, I was just, I was mad. I was like, no one called me because I would have beat the living crap out of him and gone to prison for assault and battery um, and to get him to a hospital. I couldn't believe yes. that they didn't get him into a hospital. And it was so frustrating. Yeah. Well, if, if, if you're alive to argue with me, I'll take it. Right. I'd rather yeah. have you alive and, and mad at me. Yeah. Then gone. Right. Yeah. It, it's, well, and it's tough. It's really tough that I feel like the suicide autopsy never really ends because mm -hmm. the person with the answers is gone and there you can spend a lifetime going crazy in circles about what that person might have been thinking or not thinking or what I could have done or what I should have done or what I shouldn't have said. I think you can really drive yourself crazy in this space. And part of the healing journey is sort of coming to terms with the unknown. Yeah. And and then, and this is uh, something I've thought about too, is it's amazing how many people don't kill themselves. Mm 
I mean, it's, it's like some of us go, I've been to very, I've personally have been to a very dark space where I did check myself into the hospital a, a, over a decade ago because I knew it was a life or death thing. So it's just like, um, how many people get through it that we don't know actually got through it because yeah, life what, is hard. Yeah. And when I've told people that I've checked myself in the hospital, people I, who I like would never have thought go, oh yeah, I did too. And they don't have, they've, they've like never told anyone in their lives. And I'm just, this is the power of conversation. Yeah. When you have kudos to you and to these other people who are having these conversations with you, because when we are vulnerable in that space and, and there can especially be a gendered component to this men have statistically a much more difficult time with this than women do, but it's important for everybody because mental health is health, but that power of that conversation is so healing because it takes away the isolation. It might not take away all the stuff, right. but, but you're no longer isolated in that place. It's... Sam's cousin died uh, from cancer about a year after Sam did. Mm-hmm. And she was 33 years old. And another cousin at her funeral was just so angry all over again at Sam and said, you know, Carol was fighting for her life and Sam threw his away. It really pissed me off because the difference was that Carol had doctors and chemo and therapists. She had friends bringing over casseroles. She had friends driving carpool and Sam was fighting alone. Right. And if he made a mistake, his mistake was not asking for help. Yeah. And asking for help is, is monumentally hard because we've, and it's because we're not having the conversations and we feel alone. And the minute we, and the minute we, it's, and that's, I mean, that's the kind of the beauty of, you know, doing like group therapy and stuff where uh, you just kind of sit there and look at other people and are like, oh, we, we are all on this ride and things do get better. And we are, and we're all in different areas of better and worse. And it's just, and that's kind of like, it's almost so much the human condition of where we have to look at each other all the time to kind of gauge where we're all at. And then that's, yes. and then it's just, we, we need to be, um, we need to be looking at people and then people looking at us and even judging us and even, and even telling us we're crazy, <laughs> you know, or it, it's just, uh, it, it, there's, um, what do you call it? Truth. The essence of authenticity. I think that's where, that's where a lot of this um, stigma can break break the wall, I think. Yes. I think so too. I am so grateful that the National Lifeline 988 is up and running now 24-7. You can call it, you can text it 988 for anybody who is in that dark space. Nueva Ocho and, Ocho? Yes. <laughs> and just knowing that it's there starts yeah. to open up. A conversation. When the police came to tell me that Sam had died, our kids were six and eight. So they were really little. How do you and, explain? Well, tell me this right? part first and then we'll talk about the thing. Yeah. Okay. So they they took me aside first and they said, We will tell the children that their father died, mm-hmm. but you have to tell them how. Mm-hmm. And we recommend that you tell them the truth because you do not want them to find out from somebody else. Mm-hmm. And at a time when nothing made sense, that actually made sense to me. And so that idea of being honest and transparent has really guided my journey forward. And so I did, I 
tucked one under each arm. We were, they were little enough. So we all three fit in one chair and I used, you know, words that they would understand. Daddy was really sad. Daddy killed himself. Um, Daddy is dead. I didn't say daddy had passed on or we lost him. That's so confusing for children. Where is he? And, and so I didn't use any of those euphemisms much to the horror of, you know, some, but the, but then my kids know now they're 22 and 24 Mm -hmm. and they know they can count on me for honest answers to life's hardest questions. Even when the answer is, I don't know, let's figure it out together. There's, there's honesty and transparency. And so I am really grateful for that advice right from the get-go because that has really guided my journey. And from the police who actually have probably seen a lot of that already, they're, they're around it. It's not some, and so them being very, very upfront about it is actually almost like a warm hug. Yes, because I mean, I, I had no idea Sam was suffering so mm-hmm. much. I knew he had back pain. I knew he had job stress, but like who, who doesn't have back pain and job stress? I mean, if you have a job, you have job stress. If you don't have a job, then you really have job stress. Mm-hmm. You know, there, it wasn't out of the ordinary. Now in retrospect, I could, I felt some things differently. He had lost a little weight. He um wasn't sleeping well and just seemed a little bit off. So I couldn't have necessarily articulated what it was. And it did seem a little off, but I didn't think he was suicidal. So it was really helpful to me to have the uh, professional guidance from people who, from those first responders who had been in this situation, sadly, before. And I was really grateful to have their perspective. And what do you do after that? I mean, do you, do you find, um, do you go to counseling? Do you find a grief group? What, what, where, where do you find other people who know? All of those places. Sam died in yeah. 2007. So social media wasn't quite as robust as it is now. Mm-hmm. I have lots of widow friends who have been widowed more recently and find groups online a lot. They have had a lot of success with that connection. I didn't really have that in 2007. I went to one group, suicide survivor group. Suicide survivor is not an ideal term. It refers to those of us who have survived the suicide of somebody else. So I find the term confusing, but I don't have a better one yet. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had gone to one suicide survivor group and I probably went too soon, to be honest, Tony. It was only a few weeks after Sam's death, and I was the only widow in the group, and almost everybody else in the group had lost a child or a parent, Mm -hmm. and the idea of my kids taking their own lives when I had just lost my husband to suicide was more than I could manage, so that, I ran screaming out of the room pretty much without the screaming, but or the running actually, but I just couldn't get out of there fast enough. It was, it was <laughs> you, you politely annoying. walked up as, as you were screaming in your head and you were running, you screaming politely my head, sauntered yeah. to the door. <laughs> Said, okay, whatever it takes to get these kids the help that they need, because children who've lost a parent for any reason, not just suicide, are at increased re- risk for dangerous behaviors, including suicide, addiction. Um, so it was really important to me to get 
to have these conversations. I think that's where the fluency in depression, suicide, when we develop a fluency around mental health in the same way that we have a fluency around physical health, yes, then there's access, then there becomes more research dollars, then there becomes more opportunity to connect in different groups or whatever. Anyway, to answer your question, I had a therapist for me. I had a therapist yeah. for each of the kids at different times. There was a time when we had his, his, hers, and ours therapists. And I am a big fan. The title yeah. of my book, Sushi Tuesdays, comes from Tuesdays were sort of my Charlotte Shabbat, I called it. It was my day for self-care. Yeah. Because I had my favorite yoga class on Tuesday mornings. My therapist yeah. had a recurring slot open up on Tuesdays. And so that became the day that was just Charlotte for Charlotte's own healing. Do I need to go back into bed and cry? And cry? That's an option. Do I want to go yeah. for a walk? Do I want to take myself out to sushi for lunch? Because like I said, the kids were six and eight, so they didn't really care about sushi. And, you know, I'd get a table for one. So that yeah. then became my sushi Tuesdays. I didn't make appointments with doctors or with accountants or lawyers, God forbid, on a, my Tuesday. It was sort of my sacred day. And when you're a single parent with two little kids, even just an hour to myself was gold. And so I knew that in order to, to drive this train as a single grieving parent to two grieving kids, I had to take care of myself first. So I did not have a particularly great experience with groups that having been said, I think there are a lot more groups available now. And I, I do encourage people to find the groups that fit for them and to know that, you know what, if the first group you go to isn't your jam, there are more, you'll yeah. find your people. Yeah. And it's, um, it's just so much, it's just, it's crazy because even the idea of love, um, love and, you know, love and marriage, you know, the love hurts. It's like, it's just like, but it's okay. But if, you know, if love doesn't hurt, then we're not living fully to our human condition. Right. Grief <laughs> is the flip side of love. Right. Yeah. If, if you love in this world, your heart will break. Yeah. But I would rather live an open-hearted life than not. Yeah. And I feel like, I I don't know why I feel like so, I don't know. <clears throat> I just feel like we're in an era where people are less open now at, mm. at the moment, less open to love and less opening up to, uh, and this is me because I'm a single dude where I'm like kind of you know, checking out, um, options like, you know, possibly dating kind of thing. Yeah. And, and when I talk to, when I just have conversations with, uh, some of these people and there's, you know, um, everything's like, oh yeah, I'm trying to buy my house first and then I'm doing this and I don't want to buy it with anyone else. Cause who would ever want to be in that situation? I'm sitting there going, what, you know, so you, so essentially you don't want to be vulnerable in any way at all in life. And you think you're going to find love without vulnerability. And it's, it's very, it's like becoming more and more common and it's blowing my mind. Well, I think COVID does have something to do with that, but I will Maybe. tell you honestly, after Sam died, cause Sam and I had been married 15 years. We'd been mm -hmm. together for 17. We had these two kids. We had, you know, the white picket fence. Were you, and, what, were you guys like in college when you met each other or were you in high school? How law back? school. You're in law school. So you were both mm -hmm. lawyers. Yes. Oh, mm -hmm. wow. Okay. I try not to say that out loud. Cause you know, 
Why? I consider myself a recovering attorney at this point. Oh, no. What we want to do is we want to talk about lawyers because we want lawyers to feel included too in part of the conversation. Yes, that's true. And, <laughs> and you know, being a lawyer is hard. So yeah, it's being a lawyer. Lawyers are interesting. I find lawyers, divorce lawyers, I don't like that much, but <laughs> I, find lawyers, <laughs> I find lawyers very intriguing. Um, it's a, it's a, um, you know, as a writer, you, you can see sometimes frustrated, you can see sometimes frustrated lawyers actually probably should be writers. I think there are a lot of frustrated lawyers who become writers, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. Yes. And But it, it all makes, it makes monumental sense. <laughs> yes. Well, and I had no intention after Sam died to get married again. I had been loved once and I was done. And I- like So it was said, off the table. Kids. Oh yeah, it was totally off the table. I didn't- okay. And I was busy, you know, I didn't, I didn't need, I didn't need more stubble in the sink or kids missing the target in the bathroom. I already had that. So or husbands like, missing the target in the bathroom. Totally. <laughs> like I was done. And then I accidentally fell in love with the most eligible widower in town. Wait, wait, and- how do you accidentally <laughs> fall in love? No, we got to get on that. How do you accidentally fall in love? That's good. I love that. So I have this wonderful friend who um, just really I had a lot of wonderful friends actually who picked me up and dusted me off. And this one in particular, isn't it great now? Isn't it I'm just, isn't it great to see who comes out in your times of despair? Mm, and, yes. and isn't it shocking to see who doesn't come? Yeah, there can be a disappointment for yeah. sure. And I just feel like some people can't manage their own feelings right. about the situation. Right. And, and that's okay. Sometimes yeah. they come back, sometimes they don't. Yeah. And, you know, Anyway, I was really, I was really grateful. I had this friend who, um, she just showed up for me in amazing ways. For example, I had told her that I had gone to the closet to get something. And then I saw Sam's suits there and his shoes and I couldn't, I just dissolved into tears. I was a puddle on the floor for half an hour. I walked out of the closet, not really able to remember what I had gone in there for. And I told her the story. She said, okay, Charlotte, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to come over. Another friend is going to take you out to lunch. And while you're gone, I'm going to take all of Sam's clothes. I'm going to put them in bins. I'm going to label everything. I promise not to throw anything away. And I'm going to put it all in the garage. So it'll be there when you are ready for it. And she did that. And then instead of having a gaping hole, she's, she's a designer. So she reorganized my whole closet. I think things were in rainbow order. All, all the bags were together. The shoes were together. It was, it looked like something out of a magazine. It was absolutely gorgeous. So this is the kind of friend that she was. In that, in that situation, what was it? I mean, was it like that you were being, that she was giving you an individuality again of sorts, where mm. it's just like, there's an identity. Cause, cause, cause I have a feeling like the, the, the suits and the clothes would have a smell on them too. So there's a lot there. I feel like there would be a loss of sensory and that can also uh, be really hard, even though it was yes. a good thing to do. Yes. All of those things are mm-hmm. true. And, but I felt safe because she wasn't getting rid of anything. And, and it was, it was just a very practical, helpful roll up your sleeves kind of thing. Yeah. And as she's doing all this, she's telling me about her favorite client, Debbie, who had just died from colon cancer. 
And she told me about Debbie's husband and his, their two kids. And she was just heartbroken. And she said, you know, if you ever want to talk to Tim, he's just a nice guy. And I said, do not give Tim my number. <laughs> you tell that. <laughs> you I'm good. Anywhere near this. I'm busy. I just got the whole closet to myself. What on earth would I want to share it again? <laughs> but that must have been, I can't remember now exactly. But Sam died in October. Debbie had died in December. And in May, it was the first Mother's Day after Sam's death. And oh, it was the wow. first day I didn't cry because it was really? all about me. Oh, yeah, cool. my dad and my mom spoiled me. My kids spoiled me. They bought me, it was um, the Kindle had just come out and yeah. I love to read. So they bought me a Kindle. The kids used their allowance money to give me um, to buy a credit so I could download my first book. And so I was having this really good day because it was all about Charlotte until I thought about this man I did not know and his two kids on their first Mother's Day without mom. And I burst into tears again. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. sent Karen an email and said, you know, I'm thinking about your friend and just tell him that today, I just imagine today totally sucks. And there are people who care. Plus I could see Father's Day coming on our horizon. Right. And I was not excited about, we started calling mm -hmm. it F day. I was not excited about Father's Day. Yeah. And so she says, okay, if I give him your number. And I say, yeah, fine, whatever. Oh boy. Right. So then. And then um, he, had that, he had that smooth, very white voice when he called, right? He's like, oh, right. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't really know. I, I see, I see a jacuzzi. I see bubbles in the background, you know, <laughs> the first time he called, I was standing on the back steps of the karate studio and my kids were just finishing up with their final bows or whatever. And the phone rings and it was a local number. And I, wondered if it had to do with work. So I answered the phone because I was a trust and estates lawyer. And one of the ironies that is my life, I did all work with wills and trusts. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was well-versed in the language of decedents and deceased. And, you know, I was, I was pretty comfortable with the language, yeah. which was probably helpful. Yeah. And so this phone number shows up and I answer it because I think it might be work-related. And, you know, it was a very nice voice saying, hi, it's Tim. Am I calling at an okay time? And I said, no, I'm about to pick up my kids from karate. Can you call me later? And he said, no, I'll be in a basketball gym with my older son. And I said, okay, well, you know, I don't really sleep that much. So if you want to call late, it's fine. And then I thought, oh, thank God, never going to hear from him again. Yeah, but he called. Sure, now you oh, great! So he did call. that bullet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're like, okay, cool. Life's gonna go <laughs> like cool. status quo. I need everything status quo right here. <laughs> and then he called that night, and he the first question out of his mouth. And now Tim had been widowed just six weeks after I was. We hadn't known each other before then. First question out of his mouth is, "Can you sleep?" And I said, "No." And the second question, "Can you focus?" And I said, "No." Mm -hmm. And then we talked for an hour yeah. and, you know, when, when you've both been widowed, the humor gets pretty dark, pretty quick. And we laughed and cried and, you know, there's just no time for bullshit when you're, yeah. you know, we were both in our early forties. Mm -hmm. I had just turned 40 and he was 42 and you've got, and you know, you're both single parents with all these kids. 
there's just no time for bullshit. But I wasn't thinking about dating. I was just like, you know what? My friend was right. It was nice to talk to somebody in the same leaky boat. Yeah. And yeah. then he called again. And after a couple phone calls, he invited me to lunch. And um, and then I had to cancel because my little one was sick. And he thought, oh, well, Charlotte got cold feet. I'm never going to see her again. Yeah. And we rescheduled. Which is great because that's, I mean, this is all part of also the vulnerability of love and being vulnerable and, you know, asking the person. And when they hear no because of this, the other person's going, oh, right, I did it wrong, but it should be wrong because it's never going to work. You know, just everything that's going on in our minds. Right. And what, what on earth? That's a lot of kids, right? Yeah. So, so uh, we rescheduled and I walked in. Um, I walked into the restaurant thinking I was a few minutes early and I, I thought I would beat Tim to the restaurant. I didn't know what he looked like or whatever, but I go in early. So I blow through the bar to go wash my hands. And as I'm walking through the bar, I see this cute guy sitting mm -hmm. at the end of the bar. And that was weird because I had not noticed a man in months. Oh, and, this, but, yeah, that's really interesting. I get that on so many levels. Cause when I found out I was getting divorced, you know, kind of the worst way ever. I couldn't even think of even, you know, there's just, there was no possibility of me being a functioning man in the head and also below the waist for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not interested. Yeah. Right. No right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I blow through the bar and I see this cute guy and I think I literally, like if there was a thought bubble over my head, he's cute. I wonder where Tim is. And then the cute guy at the bar turns around and says, Charlotte. Whoa. And then the thought bubble above my head was like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> my friend didn't tell me he was nice looking. She just said he was a nice guy. So I now, did that the... thought bubble also go, we might have something here. Um, not in that thought bubble, but okay. when two and a half hours later, we were finally ending our lunch and we just talked and talked and talked. Uh, I don't even remember if I ate lunch because I, I just was so nervous then, yeah. which I also hadn't felt in a very long time. So uh, when, when we walked out of the restaurant, he invited me to dinner and I said, yes, without even looking at my calendar and you know, it, we, for, it was kind of like we were, we were having an affair behind our kids' backs. Cause then I would tell oh, the kids I was right. at book group and he would tell his kids that, <laughs> you know, he was going out with the guys. It's like, it was like being teenagers again, sneaking oh. around. But this time we were lying to our kids instead of yeah. to our parents, yeah. because there was that, like you talk about vulnerability. If I yeah. break my own heart again, shame on, you know, that's fine. Right. But if I break my kids' hearts, shame on me. Yeah. Right. And yeah. And, and that's, that's, then that's great that he's also in the same boat. So you both are protecting your kids. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And we really wanted to make sure that what we had was something really special and not just sort of mutual grief because we right. did understand each other. Yeah. Tim and Debbie were high school sweethearts. They started dating when they were 16. Wow. So when she died at 41, they had been together for 25 years. Wow. Right. That's yeah, that's crazy. That's it's, a lifetime. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Huh. And their kids were 11 and 14 when Debbie yeah. died. She's diagnosed. What, yeah. When, you know, your kids were younger and his kids being older when uh, their mom died. 
Um, I feel like that the I I now tell me I'm totally wrong, but I feel like younger kids might be a little more resilient in the situation because they can adapt better. And then if the older ones will probably be less resilient and may have um more complicated, or is that not the case? I think there's some truth to that and then they're all unique yeah they it's it all just sucks yeah and it sucks in different ways for different kids they i will say that they all afford grieve in their own unique ways mm-hmm. and as a parent to grieving children it's just well it's just like raising your kids for all the other things you learn how they grieve, what is helpful to them, what is not helpful to them. And, and just you support them in the best ways that you can for their own individual journey. Uh, and, and you're right, in some ways, in some ways, well, it all just sucks in its own unique way. Yeah, There's yeah. not really a better or worse. It just all sucks. And I think that's one of the things that helped all six of us find our way together is just having sort of a mutual respect for the ways in which the, our losses suck. And yeah. it's not a competition. Nobody wins that competition. Right. Right. You don't want to be the winner of the what's your tragedy game show. I mean, it's, it's right. like there's no winners in that space, but there are some parallels in all losses and to find common ground and support each other in those spaces is, is sort of the best we get. Yeah. It's, it it must, um, there must be a growing up of the child of the child in a certain way where the mature, it, it just escalates their maturity to a certain level, which, which may really set them up to advance more maturely as they, get older they're they're quicker into yes i, it I don't sets know them I don't behind kids, in so. some ways mm. it okay. sets them behind in some ways at the beginning and also lets them mature in other ways i mean we mm. always joke we don't put the skeletons in our closets at this house we put them right out on the walls where everyone can see them <laughs> on top of the piano fireplace mantle i mean yeah. it, it's we've got sam and debbie and tim and charlotte and all the kids and all the places and there's you know love remembers and there's there's a there there is a comfort in keeping in keeping the loved ones around because the grief doesn't end on a date certain there's no expiration date you can't check that box off done because the truth is when the kids, as they, as they get older and they are older than their respective parents, actually both Sam and Debbie were 41 when they died. So when our kids turn 41 and then 42, they are going to revisit that. We are going to revisit that when they graduate, when our oldest just got married in October and it was beautiful and wonderful. And also I wished that Debbie could see him. Yeah. I got to have the mother son dance, which is an incredible gift. Wow. And also I wish Debbie could have been there. And, and in, in the toasts in the wedding, we toasted Debbie Yeah. because she is part of how we got here. Yeah. And so just keeping everybody alive, it gets, it, it's, it's not so heavy anymore. Yeah. yeah. There are moments of heavy, <clears throat> but we're never not going to have those moments and you don't want not to have those moments. You don't want to forget. Right. 
it's it's I I find it so intriguing. Yeah, you don't get to check you you get the grief and then it's just part of your life. I don't know, you know, I don't know if you um know of this fella. I'm a huge fan. So people who listen to the show are going to be like, "Oh god, Tony's bringing up this guy again." Nick Cave. Um he's in a band called Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. He just put out a book called Faith, Hope and Carnage because his young uh he had twins and his uh and when his sons when his one of his sons was 15, he took acid and went climbing on the cliffs and fell and died. And um and he's um he talked and you know this is some goth punk rock god that you know we all knew as kids and then now he's older and like kind of uh been very very open publicly about all the grief process and everything and it's uh and it's even like helped me where i'm just like going oh my god nick cave's just like talking about this and he's it's you know and talking about how he, he the last phone call that um his wife, he, he he just knows he wrote a song about it, but it was just like he just remembers when the phone rang and everything was they were still a family. And when she picked up the phone, their family was broken. And it's just and he has a whole song about that moment. And it, it's just um, it's it's just that's that the grief, like you said, the grief clock does not go away. It's just your life is forever changed. And that's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's it's that moment sounds brutal and beautiful and i i'm gonna go listen to that song yeah the album's called ghost teen so it's uh it's it's a wonderful record yeah well you know i like i said earlier i was so afraid that i would be ostracized and sort of alienated because of how sam died but what i actually found was the opposite that people Mm. want to have these conversations and Like, for example, the first day that I took the kids to school, I I noticed that no one was looking at me and no one was making eye contact. And there was sort of this like um, distance between me and the kids. And I thought, OK, here it is. I'm I'm about to be alienated from my community. And I looked the boys in their little eyes and said, OK, as you stay as long as you can. And then as soon as you're ready to come home, you you let your teacher know and I will come get you. And I like didn't know whether to expect a phone call in five minutes or 10 minutes or, you know, if they'd last the full day, which they did. And so I, then as I was walking away from their classrooms, there's this lawn in front of the elementary school and people started coming toward me and they were hugging me and they had tears in their eyes. And I kept saying, they kept saying, Charlotte, you know, what can we do for you? We're here for you. And it was such a powerful testament to that transparency. Now, of course, it wasn't everybody in the school, but Tony, I was standing there for 15, 20 minutes with people just hug after hug after hug. And I do think that as we have these kinds of conversations, it promotes connection. And, and we and, and it, go ahead. Yeah, I was just, and you know, as the years and months went by, then those same people would say, Charlotte, you have to write the book. You have to write the book because there is something about knowing what people go through and and seeing them survive and thrive because that does honor our loved ones. Yes. And the other thing is that I, that I take away from that is we don't, the, 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 the situation could be so horrific and we don't know what the person is going through, but 
we can give a person a hug and we can tell them we don't understand, but I am here for you. And then that's, that's essentially all you need to do is go up to somebody and give them a hug and just, and, and that's vulnerable too. I mean, that's, that's a very vulnerable thing to do. And it's, a, it's, but we have to do it as humans. This is, this that's is everything. part of the, yeah. That's at the end of the day, that's the, that's the only thing that really counts. And one friend walk in one night and she, I think she must've cleared out the entire grocery store freezer department because she had gallons of ice cream hanging <laughs> from bags on her arms, gallons. And she walks in the door and she's very dramatic. And she says, I'm here to fix everything. And you know, the ice cream doesn't fix anything, but showing up does. Yeah. yeah. Just, it's just saying I'm here. It's like when my, I'm it's here. like when my friends get divorced, it's like when I got, when I got divorced, the people who took me out and were just like, the, you know, the, it's fine. And I just like sit there and just be crying. And I'd be like, yeah, Tony, do your thing. And then I'd be mad. And I'd be like, you know, I just, and then they'd just be like, yeah. And they would just sit there with me. And then, you know, they didn't get it, but they just sat there with me. And I'm just like, and I love them to this day. Um, Not, you know, not, it, it's, I went through a very strange divorce because I grew up also in a strange religion. So it was uh more than a divorce. It was a, uh, it was a, a mob. It was a mob killing, <laughs> essentially. So. Well, it is a very sacred friend who can show up for you in that way. Yeah. And that is the only time that silence might be the best thing. Just, yeah, just, and I've, and that, and I've learned my lesson so much from that. So when other people who I've known, even if I don't know them that well, when they've gotten divorced, I'm just like, let's go out to dinner. I don't want to talk your ear off. No, you have to. You have to sit down. You got to talk my ear off. And I'm not going to know what, I'm not going to understand half of what you're saying. And it doesn't matter. I'm just here. It doesn't matter. I'm just yeah. here. I am yeah. here. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. Just keep talking. Yeah. yeah I don't get I mean, it. I don't get every... it. Just keep talking. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Totally. And and it is, it, it does feel like a sacred space when you can be there with somebody and just be in the midst of it. Yeah. And then, yeah, it just it blew it blew my mind. And I got to learn, a, I got to learn a lot more about some of my friends that I didn't know so well, who were very open and went, Tony, I've actually been exactly where you're at. And, and it's just like, Oh, and then all of a sudden I know this person on such a deep, intimate level, you know, yes. it's, and, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's just uh, the, the mind swirls. It's funny. I mean, I just, I just remember this. Thanks for being my therapist, by the way. Um, <laughs> but, but when it, cause my, cause my mom's mom killed herself when my mom was 13. And so when I was about eight or nine years old, I realized that grandma wasn't grandma because grandpa remarried. So I was like, wait a second, grandma's not grandma. What happened? So I was like, really? And she, my mom would not tell me. She was like, she died. She died. I was like, what did she die of? And, and I was, and I knew my mom was being deceptive and it pissed me off to no end. And I was, and I was drilling her and I was like, what did she die of? What is she? And my, finally my mom just like broke down and just started crying and said she killed herself. And I was like, okay. And I was just so pissed at my mom for being so deceptive that I didn't even care. She was crying. I was just like, you know what? You cry good. Cause it's just like, Thank, thanks for like, you know, I'm this kid like taking this on. I'm like, okay, now I know more about my family and it's just, but that's when 
they were trying to hide it. And it made me mm. so mad that they were trying to hide it. And, the, yeah. and then I went and told a friend of mine, that friend told my younger sister. And then all of a sudden my whole family was really pissed off at me because they're like, she didn't need to hear it that way. And so it was like, they were after this was essentially, this is my whole family dynamic, <laughs> but, but it's just like, <laughs> and this is why I'm so intrigued with like, People who, you know, it's just like, no, you have to let your kid experience grief. You have it, and you have to, you can't be deceptive. Kids smell yeah. that. Kids smell that a mile away. And that's what's great about kids. They will sit there and go, Why is your zipper undone, you idiot? Instead of not ignoring it. And you're like, Oh God, my zipper's undone. I'm an idiot. Thanks. You know, it's, there's a beauty about that. There, well, and kids are really curious. And yeah. And if we can tap into that curiosity, they're not, they're not judgmental the right. way, I mean, they don't start off that way. Be, they, they, they cue into that. If, yeah. if we're not willing to talk about it, that is one clue. Like, Oh, yeah. this is intriguing. Yeah. Why can't we talk about this? So yeah, again, like I, I think back to those police officers telling me to tell them the truth and it just, it, it's, it's life-changing. Yeah, It's yeah. hard. Not everybody wants to hear about it, but you think about how, how it can change the relationship. And you wonder, like lying changes a relationship in one way and telling right. the truth changes the relationship in a different way. And yeah. we can tell hard truths to each other in a way that doesn't have to be barbed, right? right? It doesn't have to be sharp. Yeah. We can we can soften the edges of the truth, but still be fully transparent, especially with children. Yeah. And, I just think if we can, if we can all sort of adopt some of that curiosity, what is it like to be so deep and dark that you, you feel like genuinely the world is better off without you yeah, yeah. is it, 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 can you articulate that? Can you put words to it? Can you put sounds to it? Can you put a color to it? If we can start to have those conversations, then our kids will, our next generation will be more facile with this part of health. And support each other when others yes. are go through going through it. Yeah, model it <clears> for <throat> each other. Because we, you know, we do all the things physically. We try to eat well and exercise and get enough sleep and all those things. And and those all flow into mental health as well. Yeah. And we can learn how to be mentally healthy and yeah. to and to look out for each other and start to notice, hmm, gosh, Charlotte doesn't quite seem like herself. I might not be able to picture what exactly is going on, but maybe we'll go out to that coffee, like you said, or maybe we'll walk around the Rose Bowl, or maybe yeah. we'll, you know, go grab tea or whatever. And that's where we can make a difference in each other's lives. I still need to walk around the Rose Bowl. A friend of mine, he lives in Eagle Rock and he, he when his daughter still lived in Los Angeles, they would always walk around the Rose Bowl. He's like, you got to roll out with us. And I'm like, yeah, you know, that was before COVID. And then it's just like, and, but, <laughs> well, but it's it, outside. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. I it's yeah. It's uh, what do you call it? But I've always wanted to walk around the Rose Bowl. I liked it. It's great. It's flat-ish, which is nice. I mean, if you yeah. don't live in Los Angeles, you might think it's flat, but when you live here, you know, it's not, Flat. Right. Yeah. There's, it, there's, it, you know, but the, the Rose Bowl is relatively flat. So yeah. it's nice. It's a, it's a, about three miles. So it's yeah, a nice yeah. little walk and everybody's there. I, that's one of the things I love about it. It's like every 
body, every gender, every shape, every color, like every speed, like some people are really fast and running around. There's every age and you know, some people. I see. I would, I would, I, I like, like I go up, I go up to like kind of, I live near Ferndale area, kind of, kind of in Los Feliz. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I go hiking up in there, you know, on the, in the hills. And I'm, I, you know, when I hike those hills, I'm like, <laughs> you know. and then these people like are jogging past me and, you know, I'm not happy with them. So I'm rude. very upset with them. I'm just like, you know what? Yeah. Thanks for shoving it in my face. Thank you. You should say hi to me next time. You should say good job, Tony. It's good. to see over. Yeah. Way to go. Yeah, exactly. Come on. You know, don't jog past me with your headphones on, just shoving it in my face. (laughs) Well, we all got to cheer each other on, right? Yeah. Well, and I I also think that there's there's a place for resentment sometimes. You know what I'm saying? There's (laughs) There's a place to be disgusted with our fellow human that makes me feel alive sometimes. And I go, yeah. Totally. I'm, I'm happy to visit those places. I just don't want to live in bitterness. Right. Yeah. And I feel like I have, I know that's a great, that's a great point. I I love being angry and bitter, but I can get, but I do it in such a stupid, uh, exaggerated way that it cracks me up. And then that's when I, uh, that's, and then that gets into my writing, hopefully. Sense of humor is everything. If we lose our sense of humor, then forget about it. We got to be able to laugh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when, when you're writing this book, are you, are you, uh, workshopping it like with a group? Are you, are you, are you alone working on it? What's, what is your process to put this book together? That's a great question. I started a blog in 2011 and. Wow. Okay. So, so what was, what, so when you started the blog, what was it like starting the blog? Because would that be the first time you've written about it in public? Yes. Okay. So what was it? So what was that decision like? And what was the first blog that went out what was it like doing that it was a little terrifying and a little exhilarating I well so by 2011 Tim and I were married we had blended this family of four kids yeah and I had gone on a run and it was Sam's birthday actually I had gone on a run and I thought okay a book is too big Um, but maybe I could start a blog. Mm -hmm. And so I talked to Tim about this idea and we together decided that if by sharing my story, I could help just one person, then it would be worth it. So I- And take care of yourself at the same time. And take care of myself (laughs) at the same time. Yes. So I drafted a little piece. I sent it to my college girlfriend who was good at website things and- um, I had always pictured the title of the book as like this sushi Tuesdays, sushi no above Tuesdays. Really? And and then we decided talk about to talk- envisioning and making it happen. Now that now that now that and that's 2011, and here yes. we are in 2023. Yes. Sometimes our um what our goals take a lot of time to manifest, but when they yes. do, it's utterly beautiful. Yes, and something else that was utterly beautiful and poetic with the URL sushi Tuesday is a smashed together. So I don't know if you can see that there's shit right in the middle of sushi <laughs> Tuesdays, which I, I didn't notice that. And I'm usually the person that notices that stuff because I love <laughs> defecation jokes. <laughs> Always funny. Potty humor. Never, yes. never disappoints. 
Yes. So, so, so it, your current husband has he ever peed out outside outside of the uh, toilet bowl? No, he's the best. Oh, he he's an gamer. He's, he's, he's really a good man. I know. <laughs> I know. He's. I, I told you. I, All right. I, I accidentally fell in love, and I just. <laughs> and he can aim. It's just <laughs> people don't realize that's forty nine percent of the relationship. All right. <laughs> and within, I want to say within twenty four hours. A so I send out the link to you know maybe twenty people in my inner circle, mm-hmm. and said you know it's okay for them to share it, and within twenty four hours I got an email from a friend of a friend, who said Charlotte, my twin brother died by suicide, and I don't know how, I I don't know how I'm going to do this, and the fact that you have just written this post gives me hope. And I thought, there's my one. Yeah. There's my one. And you're going to have a lot more than one now. You're going to have tens. I hope so, because <laughs> every life matters. It, it, everyone. Well, hold on things. there a second now. <laughs> <laughs> I, hey, there's I some go... I like better than others. Yeah, that's yeah, the truth. No, there's, 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 <laughs> at the same time, there's people on this earth who may not be so bad if they weren't here. <laughs> there's some people i wouldn't miss that's true right exactly <laughs> you know they're poor families i'll you know send them flowers but you know and that's all i'll get <laughs> <laughs> we'll get a good riddance um that's right so then after a couple of years i i had a whole lot of pages okay and because i published every tuesday for several mm-hmm. years and so when oh I so all th- out- i love that you made it on tuesdays and that was your self-care day so it was your sushi tuesdays and you created sushi tuesdays and then that was a blog and then that becomes the book and yeah. here we are now you've created a legacy <laughs> well i hope so i i hope that i have honored everyone in the process with my writing and um and I'm really grateful that now, it, it's about to be in the world. Do you now? Did your children read the book? Great question. I don't know. One I know for sure has read the beginning to end. All of them have had the manuscript, mm-hmm. and all of them I think have read the first couple chapters. Okay. Whether they've all finished it, I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting. <laughs> it, it it's interesting when it's in book form because it's like even when, yeah even i was like last year when i i was dating this uh woman at the beginning of the year and it, and then the red flags came up but after about you know but 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 she's just like i'm so sorry i haven't like read your book or seen your film yet and i'm like it is not a prerequisite <laughs> it's just like <laughs> like it has like that's just something i've done that's you know that i'm working on stuff now that's something i've done I'm not coming over to your place, going through your vintage clothing, going, and where did you get this? And where did you get this? You know, where did you wear it? Yeah. (laughs) Right. Exactly. It's just never a prerequisite, but, but it's, and it, plus it's, I don't know, a book's, a book is vulnerable. A book is really out there. I mean, there's a blog, people can come to the blog, but when there's a book in a bookstore and a book in a library and your heart is in a library in Massachusetts Mm. or in, Mm. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, am I stressing you out? I think I'm making you realize this right now. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> and it was then she had her second nervous breakdown. <laughs> a 
coming in 2037, Charlotte's <laughs> memoir about her next breakdown. <laughs> and the acknowledgments at the bottom, they'll be, and here are the resentments. Tony and Shane. <laughs> Exclamation point. I always wanted to put resentments at the end of a book, not acknowledgments. Just like, just like, you know, I hate you for this. I hate you for that. Just, just resentments. That's <laughs> what do they say? Don't ever write out of revenge. Although I think sometimes people go, you know, I think that's a good motivation to write out of revenge. I, well, I think it's a good starting place. The thing, the thing that happens is we develop empathy. This is what happens with me is I'll, I'll start from a place of anger. And, and then I find out, and then as I'm working with my characters or working with my story, I find out that my anger is so absurd, absurd and stupid because I start to have empathy for these people, which cracks me up. So that's, <laughs> and, I, and, and, and I think the, one of the main reasons that I write is so I'm not a awful person to gen, the general public. I can get it all on the paper and then, they, and then I can, I can act like a normal citizen in society. <laughs> totally, totally. It's self-preservation for everybody. Yeah, well, I think that that's true. When you, when when I write as well as as I delve into like what might have been going on here, what can I think about now that I might not have thought about in two thousand seven? Mm-hmm. Like what was going on for this other person that I might be able to have compassion for? But then you know, there's what Anne Lamott says too. If people had wanted me to write more warmly about them, they should have behaved better. I love Anne Lamott. She's the best. Yeah. Bird by Bird is such a great book. So good. Yeah. Yeah. I I like that a lot. Are you working on another book now? I have some ideas. Right now, I'm really excited to get Sushi Tuesdays launched and into um, people's hands. Yes. Onto the Kindle. I hope. That's right. However, (laughs) you know, however they want it. It it, it came out uh, last month. Or it's coming out this week. Coming out on Tuesday. By the time oh. I think, I think when by the time people hear us talking, it will be out. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's will air this week, so they'll have to pre-order it. Wow. So you're so you're published. So I got you before your published date. Yes, you did. So I'm looking right now. I'm looking at an unpublished author. Yes. <laughs> oh, it's gonna- well. It, yeah, unpublished as far as as books. I did have a modern love in the New York Times on Christmas, so that was p- pretty exciting. Oh, that's cool. Wait, yeah. th- this last Christmas. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, how many copies of the newspaper did you buy? <laughs> well, we subscribed, so I only have the one. Just but- oh my god, I would have I would have <laughs> went to every the, I w- every place in Los Angeles metro area would be sold out because they would be in my. A possession if I, I am hoping that friends of mine kept it and will bring it to me so if anybody has the christmas day new york times modern love out there i would be really how much fun was it to me. see it in print like that so exciting yeah so exciting there that was that was pretty thrilling actually yeah yeah, yeah. it's weird yeah. huh it was very weird and <laughs> so yeah that's what i was like oh my gosh now now i can say published yeah yeah, it's pretty but, but but now you're a published author. See that's that, 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 author. that like that just brings a whole new gravitas to who you are. Yeah, I guess I feel like I um most of my friends are starting to retire, and I feel like I'm just getting started because I just got published, and my youngest child is hopefully going to graduate from college in the spring, and then I get to figure out what I want to do when I grow up. I think it's isn't nice. it great. Yes. So and, the, good. and the great thing about being a writer is we're not underwear models. So like, <laughs> I, so our, so our, so our moments of time can go until we're in our nineties. 
Well, I kind of feel like the memoir thing is sort of underwear modeling, isn't it? It's more like gynecology, I think. It's just, <laughs> it's just like, oh, yeah, it's like, it's... wow, I kind of wanted to see that, but I don't know. <laughs> Charlotte, thank you so much for coming on the show. Tony, this has been a, a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. Charlotte Maya on Drinks with Tony. Check out her book, Sushi Tuesdays, a memoir of love, loss, and family resilience. Next week on the show, we have J.D. O'Brien. 
He'll be discussing his new book, Zigzag. Keep writing, keep reading, keep storytelling, keep searching for truth and authenticity. I'll see you next week. You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz.